The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across skater country, visit ViStarCU.org and ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another edition of the Dooley Noted Podcast. We moved it up a day to Tuesday. Florida, of course, plays tomorrow. Uh, but more more than anything, it was so we could get our guest on, Gary Parrish, because he's Wednesday, he's bogged down, but uh, he could do it Tuesday. So, hey, why not come in and do the whole thing on Tuesday? Gets it to you that much sooner, and he will join us from CBS Sports to talk about college basketball. I do want to start out today's show, though, with uh, – because, you know, basketball right now, you're still trying to – fall in love with this team and all that stuff. But let's talk about baseball to start out. We don't – we'll get into a point where baseball will be a, a fairly big part of the podcast. But, again, it, we I do also know it's a football, basketball oh, – let me put it this way. A football, spring football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball – uh, podcast because that's what it, what people want. But I, I do want to start out. Anytime you go down and you sweep Miami, uh, as Florida did this weekend, uh, it, it's it's a, a day to be pretty happy if you're a Florida fan. And as again, I assume ninety nine percent of my audience right here are are Florida Gator fans. Um, but to think about what Sully has been able to do since he got here. In the last 35 games against FSU and Miami, they're 31 and four. That's just ridiculous. That's embarrassing. And the the great thing about it is that um, I mean, this is your your biggest rivalry. Now, you can put LSU in there somewhere. I don't know how you would rank if you were ranking the biggest rivalries in uh, for Florida baseball. You know, it may go, it may even go Miami, LSU, FSU. Does that make sense? But I, in my opinion, Miami's the biggest rivalry Florida has in baseball, and it's mainly because Miami's ended so many Florida seasons back in the old days. I don't want to say they never, they haven't in a long time though. Let's just put it that way. I don't, I don't know. I think they might have once under Sully, but I, I, I'll have to look that up. At any rate, Florida Miami's a big deal, and one reason it's a big deal, like when you go to Tallahassee for that one game. It's just a one-game deal. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the way they do uh, – they go Gainesville, Jacksonville, Tallahassee. But, okay, it, it's the way it works out. You, I also understand uh, how you want to get away from that whole um, – you, you have Miami one weekend and FSU the next, and which Andy Lopez had to deal with. And I remember Andy saying, you know, I tell – I tell they want to expand the schedule in the SEC. I go, oh yeah, I'm gonna have Miami one weekend, FSU the next weekend, and every other weekend is going to be an SEC game. Are you out of your minds? But that's the way the the movement was going at one point. Um, but for Florida to been able to do what they've done against FSU, no, look, FSU and Miami have not been FSU and Miami the last few years. There's no question about it. Miami looks like it's going to be better this year. Their pitching looks really good. They were throwing a uh, a relief guy, freshman reliever, that Florida couldn't touch in that game. But the Gators ground out. Is that the right way to say it? Grinded out? Anyway, they won all three games. The first two went to extra inning. The second one was unbelievable finish with uh, Judd Fabian getting a double to knock in the tying run in the in the ninth, and then Kirby McMullen's homer in the tenth started a big inning, and it, there was a little chirping going on. Might have been some social media posts that a guy, a certain freshman co- uh, pitcher, maybe shouldn't have put up. But um, at the same time, uh, Florida got the job done, and and uh, also in that game, it's weird. I I don't know that I've ever seen this because you. you that's one thing I've always said about my job. You think you've seen everything, but there's no way. You you haven't seen it. Something is going to come up and it's going to stun you. And that's the first time I ever saw it, which is where they when they marked off the um the the uh, I can't think of the name. Where you where you stand to bat. I my blunt my mind's gone blank. 
the uh, so when they mark it off the batter's box there you go it was up significantly up closer to the mound um Kevin O'Sullivan noticed it after Florida struck out three times in the first inning they said well we can't change it till after the bottom of the first both teams have to have the same thing okay fine and it didn't really hurt Florida but you can't help but wonder if it was done on purpose because you're talking about a track record with that program. Um, so I don't know if it was or not. didn't help. Too bad. Miami loses those games and uh, Florida wins. And, of course, Gator fans ecstatic because this means you won in baseball, you won in football, you won in basketball against Miami. Now, Miami basketball this year is not very good. Miami football ended up under 500, and Miami baseball is probably the best of those, especially since you had to win three. But Florida fans are never going to be upset with a sweep of the three major sports. Um, and I will say this. I call it the three major sports, and, and that's in terms of interest, clicks, people get the paper, stuff like that. Uh, there's no question what gymnastics has done has become the third major sports in term in sport in terms of attendance. I mean, they they just continue to draw eight nine thousand for every one, but the difference is I think people still click on to see what happened in baseball. They they want to read stories about it. Where gymnastics, everybody who goes, we were just talking about this. Everybody who goes to gymnastics is kind of like I saw everything I wanted to see. I don't really need to you know. I don't need to know what the exact scores were. I, I saw it. We, it's more of an entertainment thing than anything. It's very competitive, and I have great admiration for these young ladies. But it's more of an entertainment thing. You don't want to go read a review of a of a uh, concert you saw. You saw it. You heard it. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Florida now 8-0. Of course, the game we're, again, taping this Tuesday night, Tuesday day, uh, so the game Tuesday night has been already postponed. Weather coming through here pretty bad. And uh, tomorrow they're at Stetson, and we're not sure how the weather's going to be for that. So it'll be interesting to see. All right. This is the time of the show where we always take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Gator basketball and a bunch of stuff that's going on in basketball. We're going to get to some football stuff as well uh, on the uh, other side of our interview with Gary Parrish. And then, of course, we're going to have – Three things. What would you guys do without three things on the podcast, right? I don't know what you would do. You'd probably be just fine. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better, better convenience. So members can bank any way they want, whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. No one gets you ready to celebrate like the team at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. You want great prices in a giant selection? They've got it. You need convenient locations, online ordering, and fast service? ABC's got you covered. Get a jump on this month's deals at abcfws.com. Visit any of their 123 Florida stores today for free samples or get expert advice from their beer, wine, or spirits experts. Don't forget a cigar in their walk-in humidor. ABC is Florida family-owned and operated since 19. 19- 36 ABC always be celebrating Okay so Florida goes to Kentucky on Saturday I had a hard time watching the game I didn't watch a l- bits and pieces cuz I just Look, I've, I've said this a million times. I think the world of Dick Vitale, I think he's one of the great people in the world but and, and a great humanitarian, but it's, it's hard to listen to um, him, especially when he's at Rupp. Because when he gets to Rupp, he tends to be a little much if you're – and I imagine this is it's that way for a lot of fans. If he goes to Fog Allen and you're a fan – of uh, whoever's playing Kansas, you're probably like, man, all he ever does is talk about great Kansas is. Anyway, for whatever reason, I muted it a little bit, turned it off for a little bit because I, I – remember last week I talked about Kentucky and I didn't really hate them that much in FSU. And, and, and I'm staying with what I said. That Kentucky versus 
LSU, if they're playing in the SEC championship game, yeah, I might root for the Cats. <laughs> you know, C-A-T-S, baby. Because they're just – I have so much animosity towards Will Wade, Bruce Pearl, the cheaters, basically. Um, it, it, and I could get – I'm going to get into something on that a little, little bit later. But uh, So Florida went up there and, and played really well, got up seven, and you're like, could this happen? Because if this happens, the Gators can no longer start thinking about can we will we make the tournament. You're trying to now – you're saying we need to get a good C. We need to get out of that 8-9 C game. And I talked about that before, how I the 8-9 C game is, I think, you'd rather be a 10 than an 8 or a 9 um, because you don't want to play a 1. You don't mind playing a 2. And I'd rather play a 7 – as a 10, then, then do the path of having to go through the ones because, especially because the ones look really good right now. Anyway, um, obviously Emmanuel quickly lit them up there for the three threes in a row. Uh, it got a little crazy there at the end. Gators fought hard. They played hard. They did some good things. Kerry Blackshear had his moments and there are other times when he just looked darn right clumsy, which, which I don't know. I still don't understand sometimes why he looks so awkward. And yet, I mean, you look at the box score, 18 and 9 or whatever. Um, so, look, this Florida team can't – the bottom line is I've, – I've been saying all along, Keontae Johnson is the most important player on this team, and I still believe that. He's, he's playing at a, at a very high level right now especially. But they can't win with Noah Locke not making a shot. I mean, Noah Locke is their – ace from the outside he had been putting together ridiculous numbers after his great freshman season but he can't go over five and if he does that it's going to be really hard for them to win he's got to make shots and i don't know i I, you know i'm sure they covered him you like when you're watching the game sometimes you go i think they're covering him a little harder than everybody else did I, i i don't necessarily believe that don't forget arkansas was number one in the country in defending the three what did he do? Three knocked down three of them in the first half. Again, he had a transition look, so and he missed it open. So, but again, I'm not blaming Noah Locke. Noah Locke's been great this year. He's he's made a lot of shots. They need him making shots because Nemhard is very erratic, as we know. You don't want Keontae taking a bunch of them, but he's a good three point shooter, um, and and you like him taking the three because that opens up the drives even more. But the other thing about it was, and, and Billy or Billy. <laughs> There is a Freudian slip. Mike White said this um, last week. He said, look, one thing that's opening things up for Keontae inside is because Noah's hitting those outside shots. So the defense is kind of spread out a little more. So, uh, you know, they they didn't play a terrible game. And there's certainly no crime in losing at Rupp. You hate it? I've only seen them win there once in my life, if as a you know actually at the game, and that was the 07 team where they won. Um, they won uh, in the last the second national championship year, unbelievable game. Florida uh, was just too good, and they were. That's how good they were. Um, so anyway, now we are sitting here. It's four games to go, and right now they would be in the tournament fairly comfortably now now there's a there's a lot of things to understand here we're going to talk to to gary a little bit about the net rankings here but one thing that's really helping florida is their net ranking and that because that's the the metric that the committee will use now it doesn't mean they have to take the top whatever how many teams um in the rankings but they use that as their main metric Uh, that changed a few years ago i think it was two years ago um and so Florida's at 33, and that's they're fine. They're in the tournament. They're probably an eight or nine. Um, but and they, the the weird thing about it is that actually they went up two points after they lost to Kentucky, and then went up another point the next day. But what what happens is things are happening around them. Um, you know, for one thing, uh, Providence and Xavier are helping Florida because Providence and Xavier are making good runs here late. But when you look at Florida's losses, this is one reason why Florida is high in the met in the uh, net ranking they've lost to number two number eight number 21 number 23 number 29 and number 38 
Now, they do have a couple of bad losses to number 89 and 94, Missouri and Ole Miss. But for the most part, you know, and, and even that, it's not even a top 100, below top 100 loss. So the SEC didn't – some teams didn't play a t- as tough a schedule with Florida and it's paying off again so far. But now you've got – I've I've said this – couple times I think the LSU game is the most important game of the year because it is a high net ranking win even though it's at home it's number 29 LSU is and it takes you take one more step towards not being in that first four now I mentioned this in my column and you guys may think I'm crazy but if I had a choice you get the second game on Thursday or you play the last game on Friday as your first game, I would take the second game on Thursday. I've been there when Florida's played the last game on Friday, and it's not pretty. It's not a good situation. You sit around all day. Um, the games are supposed to start at 9, but the SEC's always said, well, we start at 7 and 9. And you're not starting at 9. You're starting at 9.45, and if the game goes overtime, it may, it's maybe 10. That's what happened to Florida a couple years ago when they uh, they lost to Arkansas. I mean, they played terribly in that game. But um, they played that game. It didn't start till really late. And I, I just would rather play, you know, during the day. I don't care if there's anybody there. You know, especially the the great thing is to be on the opposite side of Kentucky's bracket, which if, you, if Florida ends up fourth, they wouldn't be. So you kind of want to get to third. Um, but then there's nobody in the stands either. So it's it's a pretty easier – it's a lot easier – in terms of battling uh, crowds or, or having big crowds, if Kentucky fans are gone, because believe me, they're 70% of the crowd up in Nashville. Um, so anyway, this is a huge game for Florida. Um, and it's a huge – I know that they've got Tennessee and Georgia coming up after that. We all know these are these are the kind of games they have to win – but uh, they're road games, and maybe Tennessee may even sneak into that quad one before the season's over. Uh, I don't think they will. Georgia is good enough to beat teams. We've seen these guys play. So those are going to be tough games, and then you got Kentucky at home. So I, I believe truly if they get to 19, they're going to be fine. They're going to be in. To 19 wins, which means you go 2-2. Two and two. Now – if you beat Tennessee and Georgia and lose to LSU and Kentucky, I still think you're in. You might have to, you might not want to lose to a bad team at the SEC tournament. And the other thing is, are you going to be one of those top four seeds? And that gets you the double buy into Friday. Um, so it's all there's so much going on right now. Um, and I, I guess look, I I am way too obsessed with does does Florida make the tournament? Where Florida seeded? All that. Where's all these other teams? I don't know. I'm just – I don't know. I, don't, I like it. I'm, it. I think it's interesting. So I'll tell you. Right now, Kentucky's at 21. Kentucky dropped a spot after they beat Florida. You figure that out. That's where I go. Net rankings? Eh, not so sure you're uh, – you know what you're going, what's going on there. But this is what they're using. Auburn's at 28. LSU at 29. And then we get to Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State, considered to be bubble teams. Look, I don't – consider South Carolina to be on the bubble. Although, I will say this, Joe Lenardi has them as the in the next four out, and Alabama also in the next four out. Mississippi State in the first four out. Um, I think, I, I don't know how they're going to feel about Arkansas, because that their net's not that bad. If they could go on a little run here with Isaiah Joe, you know, what they can do is say, hey, we got a really good team. Look what we just did to finish off the season. Maybe go win a couple of games in the tournament. And, and hey, we didn't have Isaiah Joe for five games. And, and they take that into consideration. So there's still a chance for the SEC to get five or even six. But there has been a lot of uh, cannibalization. I mean, we're just beating each other. But the other thing is, that's happened to the – every time you kind of – I don't want to say fall in love, but you get – you say, hey, you know, I think this team could – Give the SEC a fifth team, and then you then they go and they lose to Texas A&M or somebody. So, um, but Alabama has a legitimate chance, a legitimate chance. 
I think, to get in. They're going to have to pl- win some games. Um, hopefully the SEC does. And the only reason I say I hope, hope they do is because the better it, the league is, you know, the more money comes in. And the more money ends up going to, to everybody. Because I, I don't want to get into the whole thing. I think I've discussed it on here before. How many teams you get in the tournament has to do with your share. How many games they win adds to your share as a conference. And boom, all that money gets into a big pot and it's part of all the distribution. And you saw the ridiculous amount that they, the SEC got. Okay. I'm going to take a break because I want to get I want to get Gary on here. We'll come back after the break and we'll talk a little bit, little bit more about basketball but mostly about football and then about uh, uh, three things which we always do right now we're going to bring in Gary Parrish but first we have to take a break you're listening to the duly noted podcast at gatorsports.com Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit zaxby's.com all right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. A great pleasure to be joined by Gary Parrish. He is the guy you go to when you want to read about college basketball. And he's up in New York getting ready to do the studio show tonight. Uh, and, uh, man, it's, it's a busy time of year for you. I know you spent a lot of time in New York analyzing this stuff, but uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always good to catch up with you. And, uh, yeah, like I, I got into this business as nothing but a newspaper guy, and you look up 20 years later, and <laughs> now I mostly just talk on TV and do podcasts, which didn't even exist when I decided I wanted to be a quote-unquote sports writer. So it's a weird world I'm living in. Yeah, I, obviously I want to talk just a little bit about Florida to start off with. And, uh, you know, my, my thought on Florida has been if you had let me watch that team play um, against anybody, say North Florida – uh, and, and you know, I would have come back and said they're not as good as everybody says they are. It was almost like we didn't know these guys just because they got five star rankings. They really weren't five star players, and I think they're they're at least coming into their own a little bit. But uh, I just don't think they're as good as everybody thought they were. Well, they're they're clearly not. I mean, we know that at this point, and I guess we we learned it very early in the season because you know the second game of the year they lose by double digits to Florida State. Now, what we know with the benefit of hindsight is Florida State's way better than anybody thought at the time. But it's also true Florida is not as good as any of us thought at the time, and. Um, I think you nailed it, exactly what the issue is. You know, all of this stuff is based on preseason expectations. And what you base that on is what are you bringing back and what are you enrolling? And we, we have a pretty good idea of, of what it looks like, um, you know, a quality basketball team in the preseason, like based on just really nothing more than what I'm telling you. Um, what are you bringing back? And and what are you enrolling? And then of course you take who's coaching the team sure. into consideration. You know, like uh, you can always assume that you know at this point I think Chris Beard is at Texas Tech. You can always assume he's going to have a good team, uh, almost regardless of the parts. Tony Bennett historically you can always assume he's going to have either a great team or at the very least, um, and that the very least would be this season a respectable team that can still. Um, theoretically make the NCAA tournament, coaches, certain coaches get the benefit of the doubt. And so when you looked at Florida and you, you just applied this same sort of standard, you go, okay, uh, Michael White is a coach who's been to uh, the, the past three NCAA tournaments. He's been to an Elite Eight, so th- there's that. that that's solid. You, you, you're returning you know, real key pieces from an NCAA tournament team, meaningful players, maybe not a star, but guys who have done it, and then you're enrolling, um, you know, maybe the best grad transfer in the market in Kerry Blackshear, plus two five-star prospects, that looks like a preseason top 10 team. And and if I had to go back and do it again, just based on what I just told you, I would still rank them in the top 10, because it looks like a top 10 team. But as we sit here right now and we look um, you know, at, at Florida through 27 games, one of the things we realized is that the two five-star prospects 
aren't performing like elite-level freshmen. Like, Duke enrolled a five-star prospect in Vernon Carey. He's performing that way. That's Memphis a different world there with him, yeah. <laughs> different world. Memphis enrolled a five-star prospect in Precious Achua. He's performing that way. Washington enrolled one in Isaiah Stewart. He's performing that way. Um, Scotty Lewis is not. Trey Mann is not. And when you're two five-star freshmen that you are relying on, not to be good, because they can be good without them. They're going to be a NCAA tournament team, I would assume, even with Scotty and Trey playing at this level. But when your five-star freshmen you're relying on to be great aren't good or they're, or they're not impactful freshmen, it makes it very difficult for you to be great. And, and Florida, obviously, now, as you said, right now they'd be in the tournament. they still got these four games coming up that are going to impact it. Uh, they, they're great. They get a lot of uh, benefit from the net rankings, but at least Florida right now is in the tournament. Why do you think, though, the SEC, after having two straight years of "Hey, we're back, we're we're taking," you know, we're t- not taking over, but we're gonna be one of the great conferences. We put this big emphasis on it, and this year it's kind of fallen flat on its face. Um, you got a lot of cannibalization going on, and I don't know that they're gonna get more than four teams in. Yeah, the league has been disappointing this season. If you go by conference rankings at Ken Palm, it's the sixth best conference. Um, you know, that's behind the Big Ten, Big Twelve, Big East, Pac-12, and the ACC. So the worst um, of of the Power Five conferences, and also behind uh, the Big East. And this comes a year after they finished in the top four of the league last season. I think if you just look at the individual teams, Kentucky is good, but not as good as Kentucky usually is. You know, LSU got off to a nice start in the league but that's a team that lost a lot off of last season's team. So I think they were probably just playing a little bit over their head. You know, Auburn lost its top three scores from last season's Final Four team. The Tigers are still good, but, you know, now they're, they played at least the last three games without their best player, Isaac Okoro, and, you know, they're one and two in those games with two losses to unranked teams. You know, when you talk about Florida, the two five-star freshmen aren't performing like five-star freshmen typically perform. That's a problem. Um, you know, Arkansas lost its best player for a five-game stretch. You know, they were on the verge of breaking into the top 25. Sure. Uh, then Isaiah Joe, their best NBA prospect, goes down, and they, I think, went 0-5 without him. They bring him back this past weekend, and they start winning again, but their resume took a, a, a big hit. You know, Georgia is just not very good. Vanderbilt is still Vanderbilt. You know, Ole Miss has been a disappointment under Kermit Davis in his second year, and Missouri once again had, had injury issues. Tennessee lost one of its best players uh, midseason to an injury. And so I can sort of explain away – every team in there and give you a, a very surface level reason why maybe they're not as good as, as as we thought they'd be. But either way, big picture, if you're a league like the SEC that was trending in the right direction, you don't want to take a step backwards. And undeniably this season, um, for the league in general, has been a step backwards. What's your take on the, uh, the net rankings, which of course is what the uh, committee uses? Uh, there's been times when I look at it and I go, that makes no sense. You know, for example, Florida lost to Kentucky. Kentucky dropped a spot. Florida went up two. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that that <laughs> doesn't right. make a lot of sense. But I, I do know that also when when Providence and Xavier are winning, it helps Florida's net ranking. What, what's your gut on how that's is – it, is it more of the same or is it a lot better way of doing it? Well, it's, it's a better way of doing it relative to the way we used to do it, which is use the RPI as a grouping tool. The RPI was a very elementary um, formula that put more value um, on, on your opponent's just on on how well your opponents did uh, than 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 how well you did, and so it smart people guys way uh, men and women way smarter than I had decided a long time ago that the RPI it, it was a an outdated and antiquated formula, and it should not be the primary grouping tool um, for college basketball teams. So the NCAA tournament selection committee primarily just wanted to get get away from that, and they didn't want to go to a a strictly predictive measurement like Ken Palm because, you know, the results of games should matter. And the Ken Palm doesn't really take that into account. You know, Ken Palm doesn't really care if you win by a point or lose by a point. 
it's all based on points per possession, right. offense and defense, as opposed to points in games. Do you outscore your opponent? So they wanted to have the results matter, so you can't go totally predictive. And they came up with their own formula that, honestly, I'm not equipped to judge one way yeah. or another. I, I, I know it. You know, I, I, I'm not an algorithm guy, but I know that they did bring in some super smart computer-minded people who helped them design this formula, and I think they'll continue to tinker with it. I think it's hard to critique it because they have never been transparent with the, with, uh, you know, with the formula and telling us exactly what goes into it and exactly what doesn't. Um, but I will say, undeniably, it is a better formula than what they were using because what they were using uh, was, was the RPI. I, I don't get caught up in the day-to-day too much as, most, as much as I just sort of look at it and try to figure out if it's a good snapshot of, of, of what the college basketball season actually looks like. And if you go to the net rankings right now, you know, the top four teams are Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, and Dayton. If I were seeding the NCAA tournament right now, those would be my four number one seeds. So I don't have an issue with the net formula as much as I have an issue with the quadrant system mm-hmm. because I do think it is flawed. Now, it's an easy way to group wins and losses and, and, and make it digestible for not only the committee but, but college basketball fans in general. But the way the quadrant system works, if you beat a team – on the road that's ranked between 1 and 75, that is a, quote, quadrant one win. On the page that the committee looks at, it goes in the same group. That's a quadrant one win. Now, they can look within that group and get the details, but I don't know that they always do. And that's the problem because what that means is that a quadrant one win is – these things I'm about to tell you are both quadrant one wins. Um, Beating beating Kansas – um, or beating Akron. If you win at Akron <laughs> right, or, right. Or, or win at Kansas, those are both quadrant one wins. Well, those aren't the same things, <laughs> and, and, and yet they are grouped the same way. So I don't know exactly where the line should be drawn, what's a quadrant one, what's a quadrant two, what's a quadrant three, but it does seem like the, the line should be adjusted to make it a little more sens- sensible, even if that means adding more quadrants to break it up into smaller groups, because there is no scenario where winning at Kansas and winning at Akron should go in the same file of quality win, and yet from the um, from the quadrant system that's currently in place, they do. They go in the same file as a quality win. Is I mean, we've been hearing for a month this is going to be the wackiest NCAA tournament ever because there's been so many upsets and you can't swing a dead cat without seeing number one get beat. Uh, do you think it is, or do you think uh, all of a sudden when we get to the tournament, because it's a different game there, you know, you're playing in neutral sites, you're, uh, you're, you know, it's it's just totally the pressure is different. Do you think it'll all of a sudden it'll it'll become a chalk uh, tournament, or do you think it will be wild and wacky? I think that the whole wild and wacky thing um, was a narrative that got created, reasonably so, early in the season. Because we had Michigan State, number one, lose on opening night. Then Kentucky lose to um, Evansville. Then Duke lose to Stephen F. Austin. Suddenly Louisville's number one. They lose on a neutral court to a shorthanded Texas Tech team that was on a losing streak. And there really was a time where the best teams in the country, no matter who we thought they were, just like the ones with the the numbers beside their names, they were losing at an unusual rate. There was one week um, in late December or early January with three top five teams. And I don't don't remember which three they actually were. I know Butler was one of them. But three top five teams went 0-2 in the week. Like, that's not normal. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah, and so from that, I think people started to conclude, man, nobody's good, and these teams aren't reliable. They're all vulnerable, and it's going to make for a wacky NCAA tournament. And it still might, but what I would say is that for people who've been paying attention lately, um, what you would realize is that it has steadied at the top of the rankings pretty well. I mean, like Kansas is on a 13-game winning streak right now. Baylor is 23-1 and in its last 24 games with the lone loss being a one-possession loss to Kansas this past weekend. So that's number one and number two. Um, Gonzaga did lose this weekend at um, at BYU, but before that, they had won 19 consecutive games, and losing at BYU is nothing to yeah. be embarrassed about because BYU's, you know, a top 20 Ken Palm team right now. Um, they can shoot. Uh, Dayton, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, and they're the best three-point shooting team in the country. They've got an incredible uh, front-court player in Yoli Childs, who's an All-American candidate, you know, a- after serving a nine-game suspension to start this season. That's one of the reasons BYU's been off the national radar. They started slow, but they started slow for an obvious reason. They were missing their best player for the first nine games of the season. Um, Dayton is on a, I believe now, 15-game winning streak. And San Diego State, yes, lost this past weekend, and that was bad, a home loss to UNLV. But still, they're 26-1. and one. I, I say all that, and Florida State, like, won again last night and continues right. to, to be a factor on the national level. So I don't know if any of these teams are as great as the greatest teams last year or the year before. They certainly lack the NBA talent that great teams typically have. But I will say, relative to the competition in this season, um, the teams that you're now seeing, one, two, three, four, and really five, um, they've, they've been there for a while now. They've been the top five or in the top seven um, for, for, for basically the past month, and that at least suggests to me that they are more reliable than, than maybe we thought early in the season. One last quick question. I know they moved the three-point line back, three-point shootings down a little bit, but have you ever seen in your life so many guys get called for stepping out of bounds on the sideline? No, but I do think there's an explanation for it because I've talked to coaches about this, and you're right. I'm glad you picked up on that because it feels like it happens every game. And I, I, I think it happens it. once a game at least, yeah. It might, yeah, it, it might. Here, so I've talked to coaches about it, and here's, what they, they've, uh, here's their explanation. They say that you, you have a group of young people who have been setting up to, 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 you know, a, a certain amount of space behind the three-point line their entire lives. Because the three-point line they played with their entire lives has been exactly the same until now. But their bodies, their minds are still conditioned to be this far away from that line. And now when they're this far away from that line, they're out of bounds. Yep. Like, it, it, they, exactly. they don't under, yeah, so, so they're standing relative to the line, the place they've always stood. But where that place is now, it, it gets your heel out of bounds. And that's the best, that's the most sensible explanation I've heard is that, you know, the court didn't shrink, but the line did move. And the players have not properly adjusted to where they run to to create a three point opportunity. So when they catch it time and time again, um, their heel is just slightly out of bounds. You're exactly right. It's, it's, I, I, you know, I, I know you asked it sort of rhetorically, but I bet you the answer is actually no. I don't <laughs> think we've ever seen this many college basketball players step out of, be out of bounds when they catch a pass in advance of shooting a three point three-pointer and it's it's because of that line move last last season i mean line moved in advance of this season that's the only explanation for it he is gary Parrish. you can see him every tuesday and wednesday right on cbs sports network every tuesday and wednesday night uh so uh yeah we got a double header tonight uh memphis smu being the first game and uh then we do inside college basketball which is either a 30 or 60 minute show recapping the entire night every uh tuesday and wednesday night it's a lot of fun and i appreciate you uh mentioning that yeah we and let me tell you what go read his stuff if you want to know you just got schooled a little bit here on how on what's going on in college basketball you can see that at cbssports.com uh we will be back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, thanks so much for Gary uh, to, Gary to come on. I, I love having him on, and uh, uh, that's why we moved the podcast up to make sure we could get him on at least once this year, and uh, we'll see who we get on next next week. Uh, we've uh, – Okay basketball i have not done talking basketball now a lot of you out there are football only people and i get that i we had a guy the other day was talking to to us about um he just can't get into other sports well i do i love all sports well not all sports i'm not a big uh nascar guy but i i watched a lot a little not a lot but some of the 500 because it's their super bowl still don't understand why they don't have four majors. I don't understand why NASCAR has never gone to its, say, take the 10, you know, 10 guys that you really respect in this business and said, hey, let's declare four majors and you open up with the Super Bowl. But it, that's one thing. Okay, it doesn't mean we can't have other majors. And I think 
NASA, uh, NHRA has gone to that. I think I don't think it gets a lot of publicity, but I think they do consider the four majors. I wrote a column about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago maybe about what would the four majors be, but I, I never heard and, and talked to a bunch of drivers. Anyway, I don't even know what my point was, but the point I have now is it's hard to believe Kansas is not going to be this team that is unstoppable. Because of Azabuki, he was unbelievable again last night. You know they won again last night, and um, of course with San Diego State losing, which may may or may not be good. You know I I've heard the argument both ways. If you if like if 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 San Diego State ends up a two, then they could probably stay out west with Gonzaga, um, which at least they wouldn't have the travel issues. Whereas if they're a one. They get sent east because Gonzaga would be the one in the west, so they'd be sent east. You have the travel issues. You won't have much of a crowd, and maybe play the ACC uh, champion eventually or whatever. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I don't think it really matters whether they're one or two. Look, losing a game is never a good thing, and especially when you've been uh, undefeated, you're trying to make history. It's unbelievable how many, how few teams have been undefeated, gone undefeated. You know, back in the days with, with UCLA, that was a whole different story. But um, so losing's never good. But now you can see Dayton as a number one seed with our friend Anthony Grant. Anthony Grant, the story is really interesting when you think about it because he got his chance at VCU, right? Did really good things. Was set to be the head coach at the University of Florida when Billy resigned and went to the Magic. And as you know, the story you've probably heard a million times, um, Jeremy's on a plane, doesn't have any cell service, lands, he's got 15 messages from Christine Donovan saying, you need to call right now. Calls, Billy's changed his mind. They don't even go meet with Anthony. They just call him and say, hey, you won't believe what's happened. We're taking the plane right back, blah, blah, blah. And so Anthony doesn't go, end up in Florida, but then he does get his chance to be a, a Power 5 coach. It doesn't go r- real well. Um, and now he's kind of uh, reinvented himself without the help of Nick Saban. <laughs> That's a joke, okay. Um, he reinvented himself and got his got things, and now he's at his old school, the school he played basketball, and they're having this unbelievable year. And those are going to be the kind of teams when you get to the NCAA tournament, they're going to make it hard for you to try to figure out what to do with your bracket. Because Dayton's really good. They've got a really good player. Uh, they, they got a lot of good players. They got one really good player. And uh, when you see, when you watch them play, you feel like they could be just about anybody. But at the same time, they're you know they're they're not playing that same level of the, the intensity levels maybe not there that you would see in some other conferences or maybe it is how do i know i've never been to a dayton game i've been to dayton once in my life to cover and, and cover your ears okay earmuffs i had to cover an fsu basketball game in the ncaa tournament yeah i know it was it was brutal long long time ago anyway It'll be interesting to see what – again, we talked about why Florida's net looks so good. For example, Joel Lenardi has both Utah State and Providence and Xavier, all three of those teams in the tournament. This is, again, why Florida scheduling is the reason they're where they are, even though they didn't win some of those games. But they did beat Providence. Uh, That was a neutral side game, right? I believe it was. Wasn't it in the – at the Brooklyn – where Brooklyn plays, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. Anyway, probably should have these things right in front of me. You know, the, they lost to Utah State at a neutral site, but it doesn't kill them. And then, of course, beating Xavier to win that tournament is good. So those are the things that, that keep helping Florida. We'll see. I think there's a, there's some of us that look at it and go, man, I just want them to get in. Just get in. Because the tournament's so much more fun if the Gators are in. Now you don't expect much from this team, and 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 everybody who I, I think there's been a lot of people who've said this team all of a sudden they could turn it on. 
the light will go on. All this is the team. This is what you have. This team, there's no light that needs to go on. I think these guys are playing pretty smartly for the most part. They're playing hard. I just don't. I, I've said this over and over again, and you just heard from Gary. They're just not that good. They're not bad. They're really they're a good team. They're not a great team. They're not what a lot of people thought in the preseason. But the bottom line is, get in the tournament. You know, just get there, man. You're not going to win the SEC now. You had to beat Kentucky on the road to have a chance to do that, probably. I mean, strange things can happen. Like Texas A&M could beat Kentucky tonight. Is it tonight or tomorrow night? Anyway, um, but you're, you're not going to win the SEC. So just get try to get the bye. Try to get you know the best seed possible in the tournament get into the tournament and whatever happens happens i don't think if florida goes well though i don't know squeaky wheels uh if florida got in the tournament and say they were a nine seed which is what they're projected at right now so you're playing an eight seed so you're playing a team that's basically about the same as you and you lost by four points there would be a lot of criticism, but there's going to be criticism. That's it comes with the job, and it comes with um, University of Florida. All right, we got this. Get we got to get some football, man. We're almost to spring football starting. It has started for like uh, I think Vanderbilt and South Carolina, I believe. Uh, in fact, Will Will Muschamp caused a little stir today when he talked about the new. If they do pass this rule about you not having to sit out a year. You're going to hear the word tampering a lot. They're going to come to your campuses and steal your babies. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think anybody would be stupid enough to show up. In fact, you need to work that into the rules that as long until a player enters the transfer portal or whatever. Yeah, well, just the transfer portal. Until a player puts his name in, does the paperwork, you cannot have contact with him. If he calls you up, you know, and says, hey, coach, I'm thinking about going to the transfer portal. Would you have a spot for me? You've got to say, I can't talk to you. But, you know, none of that will happen. We'll probably get some tampering, but I don't think anybody would show up on campus and steal your babies. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but this is my least favorite time of the year. Because um, I really hate the combine, okay, and I'm it, it's 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 a me problem. I covered it once; it was not great. The the reason I was there was because Tebow was there and and eight other Gators, I think it was, and and the stories were good. But you literally sit around; you don't even get to watch the um, the guys run or anything, do any of that stuff. You sit around and wait for interviews. It's an unbelievable resource if you covered the NFL. If you cover the NFL and you're not there, you don't cover the NFL. But I don't cover the NFL, so I don't care if I ever have to go back there because it's just sitting around for hours doing nothing, and 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 you can't. There's really nowhere to go, and you just go. Oh, Mike Shanahan just walked in. I I only say that because I remember he walked in one day. We're like, thank God, somebody I can talk to that that actually knows me. But the, the what bothers me with the combine is the way they just start tearing guys apart, and I hate it, and it's very public. And, you know, now the new thing is Joe Burrow's hands aren't big enough. He's only got nine-inch hands. His hands are bigger than mine. Um, and Jake Fromm's are actually a, an eighth of an inch even shorter. Oh, my God. Don't draft him. But here's the thing. It does matter because I – my thing about – I'm trying to put this the right way. I always thought with Rex Grossman that one of his problems – he had small hands – and that he fumbled a lot. He fumbled a lot in the NFL, and he fumbled a lot of Florida too. Not a ton, but there were there were fumbles. It does help you in in those terms. And it look, it's easier to play if you don't if if you have bigger hands. I think it makes you a better quarterback. But is it a difference maker? If 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 the Bengals don't draft Joe Burrow, they should just fold the franchise franchise up. I'm telling you, the guy's that good. I, I he was playing this year against NFL guys all the time. They just hadn't gotten to the NFL yet, so I, I believe that if they screw it up, but the the whole combine craziness just I don't know it it didn't it. I got to get over it, right? 
I'll get over it. Okay. The other big story in football this week was uh, Scott Cochran going to Georgia as special teams coach, and he was the uh, strength and conditioning coach, and you saw him in the commercials and stuff like that. I, I don't know this, but according to Feinbaum, uh, their relationship with between Saban and Cochran has not – is fading away, hadn't, isn't as good as it used to be, whatever. I don't know about that. Kirby's always been very close to him. But the, the funny thing is, is how it's just sending shockwaves to the SEC. Oh, my gosh, this is a huge get for, for Georgia. We've got a coach who's not coached before, coaching our special teams. That's going to change everything. What? What? Now, is it a big loss for Alabama? They always seem to be pretty strong and in condition. I mean, there's a reason why he was there making the kind of money he was. So, um, you know, I look, we'll wait and see. I don't think it's that big a deal, but I seem to be in the minority. I mean, all you got to do is have somebody come in there and say, Hey, what were you guys doing before? Let's do it again. Let's keep doing it. Let's do it exactly the way it was being done before. And I'll scream and yell at you if you want me to. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a big deal. You know what else was a big deal? Colorado hiring Carl Durrell, which just stunned me. I was like, really? With the candidates you had? Uh, that would not have been even on my radar. He's a assistant coach with the Dolphins. I know he, he he apparently bought a house near Boulder recently. I guess that was the qualifications that he needed. He was not very good at UCLA when he was there. He does know the conference. I just – I think you could have done better. And the, the funny thing is when you saw guys withdraw their names, whether it was uh, Sarkeesian or Biennemi or guys like that, you, you felt like, well, that means they know who they're going to hire, so it's either Bielema – or, um, oh gosh, who was the other guy who was a candidate? Anyway, it's one of those two guys. And then, no, none of those guys. And then they, they hired this one out of left field. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I got, I've got a feeling Colorado football is going to go back to being irrelevant, which they weren't that relevant anyway. They haven't been for a long time. Um, all right. I was going to do this thing about what Florida needs to do in the spring, but then Robbie or, uh, Arnold and I were talking that Robbie and I might do, we're, are going to do some videos that'll be up probably uh, right before Florida starts. Well, we talk about the things Florida needs to do on offense and then the things they need to do on defense. And then we look at the schedule. So three different videos like we did at the end of last season. A, a lot of people clicked on and loved, loved those. So we're going to do those. Instead, right now, we are going to go to three things. It's time for three things. Number one, uh, I did catch bits and pieces of the Kobe and Gigi uh, tribute. Uh, it was on several stations. In fact, CNN carried it for a while. I don't know if they carried the whole thing. Uh, everything was unbelievable. Shaq was hilarious. A lot of people were funny. A lot of people were made you cry, uh, especially his wife, Vanessa. Um, it was, you know, and I, I've said this, and I, and I don't mean this in any way to be uh, disrespectful to Kobe Bryant, but the one I really grieve for is is his daughter Gigi, because I mean she'd only lived a few years of her life. She had not experienced all the greatness. He he at least had the great career and and had this great life. Now, um, it doesn't mean I don't feel grief for him. I was never a big Kobe guy, as I've said, but he's one of the greatest players of all time, and seemed like he really had become a good person. Okay, but. Uh, I, I, is it okay to say that that the one I really feel bad about is is her is the the little girl that that's just like to me I look when people pass away I look at their age and I go eh, 68 it could, now of course I'm going to be there pretty soon so I better be careful 72 whatever at least he had a, at least he got to live a life he got to do the things he probably wanted to do and if he didn't he probably wasn't going to do them now anyway. 21 ah that's when that's when it hits me a little more that's just me i'm a, i'm a nut the other thing about it was i i found it i'm not be, i'm not saying it was disrespectful or or um 
wrong or anything. I found it weird, though, and interesting that they filed, his wife filed the um, wrongful death suit uh, with the helicopter company, I guess the helicopter company, on the very day of the of the uh, tribute, of the memorial. That was strange. Why not wait a day or do it a day earlier? I don't know. There must have been a reason. But it's just, to me, it seemed odd. All right, number two. Why, he asked, does everybody say there are too many preseason football games? we got to get rid of them. And uh, there's just too much of them. And nobody ever says it about baseball. There's like a thousand exhibition baseball games. Sometimes teams play two games in two different cities on one one day. The reason, obviously, you're all shouting it into the your computers or whatever, is because it is a cottage industry. It's great for those cities. I don't think baseball players need to get in shape, need spring training to get in shape any more than football guys do. You're either in shape or you're not. But it has become so popular. Now, maybe maybe one of the NFL things that they need to do, and again, we're going to see where, what happens where they go to the 17-game schedule and knock out a preseason game. Maybe they need to make it more interesting. And I know sometimes they do. They go places that haven't had football. Like the Jaguars ought to come play a game here. And you, you think I'm out of my mind when I say that. The Jaguars ought to play the Falcons here in Gainesville. And you know what? People would pay, I think people would pay for tickets to go see the NFL, an NFL game here in Gainesville. I think it'd be cool. Or, or go play, um, you know, in, um, well, you couldn't really play in Savannah, but somewhere else. Like go play at the Iron Bowl. Go play in, uh, well, I never would wish Birmingham Stadium on anybody. Anyway, you get my point. Maybe if you, tr- if you did some of that, and instead of just playing a home game against, New England's backups. That's why nobody likes nobody likes because you're not playing. But they would if you took it different places. And I know that they have done this in the past occasionally. But I'd do it. I'd make it the whole preseason. You're not allowed to play in your own stadium. There you go. These guys. First of all, they don't. Everybody says they need preseason. They don't need preseason football. They have preseason football already. They go to other camps and play games and and, and have scrimmages. But it's like, oh, we, we, we need a million sample sizes before we can decide who should make our team. I just think you cut it down to one preseason game, you'd be okay, and let them have these scrimmages whenever they need to. So that's number two. I don't know why I'm off on this weird rant. Number three, though, I, I want to plug everybody, everybody who did something great this weekend, because Florida, we call it the everything school, and it is the everything school. Not only did the Gators sweep the number one team, according to D1 Baseball, uh, swept them at their place. Florida's gymnastics teams wins the SEC championship again. Congrats to Jenny Rowland and uh, an incredible group of gymnasts. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how far they can go. I mean, you hope they get to Fort Worth, which is where the finals are, and you hope they get to the last day of the finals uh, in the top six, and then you hope they win it. Uh, they're good enough to win it. It wouldn't take much. I mean, if they were on, because I've been to a couple meets and watched a couple meets as well, if they're on, it only takes one, or actually probably two, people to stumble a little bit uh, from from some of the better other teams. There's always a team that kind of comes out of the, the pack that you, you surprises you there. And Florida could win another national championship. And it would be great for Jenny because um, I just – Last year was – it wasn't a disaster, but they didn't even get out of the regional. So, uh, congratulations to them. Congratulations to men swimming, another SEC championship. Congratulations to women for finishing second. And, again, uh, we've talked about this, you know, that with the with the um, the uh, all-sports trophy that we give out. We give it out, and, and you know the story behind it. We give it out because nobody else will give it out because nobody else ever wins, but then Texas A&M won last year. So there's a big drive over there. You can't really affect each other's sports, but Florida really wants to win it, win the All-Sports Trophy back. And we do too because we had to spend $75 to ship it last year. Um, and then, of course, women's hoops winning uh, again against a ranked team. Things seem to be starting to – it's like the – like the boat is kind of slow, making that slow turn in the right direction. 
It's not all the way pointed north or whatever, but it's starting to turn. And congrats to Cam Newbauer. And hopefully, obviously, they've got South Carolina on Thursday night. It probably won't go well. But Georgia to end the season, see how they do. Uh, So all around, Florida did really good things again. Sometimes uh, it's just crazy around here. This week I've got baseball Saturday and uh, softball Sunday and basketball Wednesday covering all those. Can't wait for it. Uh, Again, thanks to Gary Parrish for coming on. Uh, He was great, as always, and we'll be back next week. We'll probably – got to check on this. It'll either be Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll send out a tweet so everybody knows. But as you know, if if it's Tuesday or Wednesday, you can download it whenever you need to. And I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Until next time, I'm Pat Dooley, the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun, saying I am deep, I'm way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across skater country. Visit ViStarCU.org and ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating.